The counter-revolutionary camp is full of governments, officials and diplomats who are um, working so hard um, to force a dialogue with the military killers um, and force a government of killers uh, actually on the people of Sudan. Um, they are providing legitimacy and narratives and justifications for the crimes of the military and this should be resisted. This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Peace, everyone. Thank you so much for attending. Our movements for Black lives are interconnected. Today's global struggles for liberation are part of a continuum that each generation must carry to the next as we chip away at centuries of colonialism and oppression. The movement for Black lives based in the United States urges Afro-descendants around the world to learn and to lean into the urgently needed solidarity at this moment. In the United States, we are digging into liberation and abolition in the face of extreme backlash from our Juneteenth 2020 uprisings that brought our community to the streets to push policy demands that invest in public health, care, community, instead of militarization, criminalization, incarceration, and police. Attacks on our voting rights, critical race theory, defund the police, and bail reform which is the fight to end money bail in the United States that functions as a ransom for poor people when they come in contact with the criminal justice system, are being attacked at every level of society and government. But we are steadfast. Global fascism threatens all Black lives. Thank you to everyone for joining us today and for your work in communities, especially in your communities. To our comrades in the diaspora, We are not born in Africa, but Africa is born in us. Always remember that out of many, we are one, and we are one with our comrades in the Sudan. Many groups have come together today to make this event possible. It is co-sponsored by Africa is a Country, Haymarket Books, The Internationalism from Below, Jadada Lia, Review of African Political Economy, Spring Magazine, Sudan Uprising Germany, DSA Afro-Socialist and Socialist of Color Caucus, the DSA International Committee, and the following departments at Bryn Mawr College, Africana Studies, Latin American, Iberian and Latino Studies, and Middle Eastern Studies, and the Political Science Department. There is so much to learn today. Please lean in and be ready to share questions and also to share your work. I want to introduce our speakers today. First, Abdul Salam Mandas. 
is an ag- agronomist with a bachelor's degree in agricultural studies from Sudan University of Science and Technology. He is the official spokesperson for the coordination of the Obadma Resistance Committee and one of the two official spokespersons for the resistance committees in Greater Umdarman. Our second speaker is Mohammed Salah Abdel Rahman, and he is a researcher and activist from Sudan who is affiliated with the Collective of Demand-Based Organization, also known by its Arabic acronym, TAM. He's a, graduate of, he's a graduate of chemistry from University of Khartoum and has published the book, The Price of Gold, which sheds light on the human and environmental costs of mining in communities affected by gold mining in Sudan. Our fearless leader and co-moderator is Muzan Anel, Alnil, and she is the co-founder of the Innovation, Science, and Technology Think Tank for the People-Centered Development in Sudan, and a non-resident fellow at the Tahia Institute for Middle Eastern Policy, also known as the TIMEP, focusing in on a people-centered approach to economy, industry, and the environment in Sudan. Her recent writings include the people of Sudan don't want to share power with their military oppressors, fire. Also, why the Burham Hamdok deal was not stabilized, Sudan. And finally, the West is waging war on the Sudanese revolution. Without further ado, I want to introduce my sister, Muzan. Thank you very much, Monifa, and hello, everyone. Uh, well, let me first uh, properly introduce my co-moderator, Monifa Vandeli. Um, Monifa sits on the policy table leadership team for the Movement for Black Lives, as well as the steering committee of the New York-based communities um, United for Police Reform, representing the Malcolm X grassroots movement in both coalitions. Um, just in the past decade, she led the launch of two historic and successful um, um, cases against police misconduct, that's Daniels versus New York City and Floyd versus New York City, and worked to pass landmark police reform legislation in New York City and New York State, um, and was a contributing writer to the Movement for Black Lives, Vision for Black Lives, and the Brief Act. I would also like to deeply thank Sean Larson from Haymarket for all his behind-the-scene technical work that uh, made this complex event possible. And um, in addition, I would like to thank Ismail Kushkush, uh, who's the interpreter today, and who makes it possible to hear these important voices from Sudan's revolution. Um, I would also like to salute everyone who joined the event. Um, by being here, we are actually uh, fighting systematic actions designed um, to eliminate the chances of such exchanges of revolutionary experiences and lessons and solidarity. So to be here, that's something that we deserve to be proud of and to celebrate. So thank you for being part of it. Now, I will try in the coming few minutes to um, provide a brief record of the past three years leading to the second uh, wave of the Sudanese revolution before passing the microphone to the great speakers that uh, I'm sure we're all um, very eager to hear from. Um, in December 2018, um, the revolution it was a revolution that built on decades 
decades um, uh, of a struggle uh, fighting a 30 years uh, dictatorship. And it was ignited by the protest of high school students um, uh, protesting the increase of bread prices. Um, this process, protest then was followed by protests all over the country, all over Sudan. People were angry at the economic policies that impoverished millions, and they were ready to take to the streets. Um, so uh, for months, um, for six months, actually, protests in cities and villages were called for by the Sudanese Professionals Association and organized by the neighborhood resistance committees um, that um, our speaker, Mindas, will tell us more about. Um, those protests escalated to a 58-day sit-in um, around the military headquarters in 14 cities in Sudan, demanding a civilian government and an end of military rule. Um, it led to the overthrow of the dictator, but the military remained in control. Um, the the sit-in was um, a, a glorious revolutionary display that was ended brutally uh, by the state forces um, on June 3rd, uh, 2019, uh, the massacre of June 3rd, uh, where on that day, more than 100 were killed, more than 40 bodies were thrown into the River Nile, more than 70 people were raped, um, hundreds were missing on that day and remain missing up until now, and thousands were injured. Uh, despite the violence, um, in four weeks from that horrible day, Sudanese uh, protesters organized again and walked the streets in a millions march um, in over 20 cities, um, uh, demanding a civilian uh, government that answers to their interests. Um, they were not only fighting the military, but they were also fighting a, um, a group of regional and international counter-revolutionary powers, um, the usual players. So you have the United Arab Emirates, uh, Saudi, the UK, and of course, the United States of America. We're all pushing for uh, a partnership, a civilian military partnership, uh, basically rewarding the military's massacre uh, with, this, with a seat uh, in power. And that partnership took place. It governed Sudan um, for two years. Uh, and over those two years, it was a government that furthered the, the same neoliberal economic policies of the dictator. So instead of a decent living, living, what the Sudanese people got out of it was more increases in prices. And instead of protection from the impacts of gold mining or oil extraction, uh, there was further uh, prioritization of business interests over people's lives. But it was, of course, all uploaded and approved by the international community. However, great things also happened those during those two years. The people did not stop organizing in resistance committees or in demand-based uh, organizations and many other forms. And these organizations walk the very fine line of pushing for the revolutionary demands while maintaining a situation where uh, their narrative cannot be used by the military to justify a coup over the half-civilian government that was presented as a step towards a fully civilian government. However, on October uh, 2021, a few months ago, a coup took place nevertheless. Um, army vehicles were in the streets, um, uh, communications shut down, the cabinet um, detained. However, the masses went out on the streets, utilizing the tools of peaceful demonstration that by then they knew and experienced very well. Um, protests, barricades, uh, chants, uh, and burning tires took over the streets on that day, and they still do up until today. Um, a second wave uh, of the Sudanese revolution started, and it does not seem like it will stop. Um, the, the military on the other side fought the space field 
demonstrations, um, killing more than 70 protesters over the past 114 days, uh, while and um, uh, injuring hundreds and, and detaining hundreds as well. Um, the, 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 the demonstrations did not stop, uh, including 18 rounds of marches of millions, each of which um, um, took place in at least 17 uh, cities simultaneously, organized by the resistance committees. We'll talk about soon. The main slogan um, of, the, of the second uprising is the Trinos. So that is no negotiation, no partnership, and no legitimacy for the military, um, indicating a more radical approach against the military than we had in the first um, uprising. And here we are today, 114 days later, the military is still not able, with all its violence, to stop the peaceful demonstration, not able to appoint um, a cabinet or uh, even been a prime minister, it is being defeated by the organized resistance of the people, and that's where we are today. Um, let me stop here and uh, bring in our first speaker, Mindas, and uh, um, I'll be asking the questions uh, in English and, and, then in, uh, and then in Arabic. So Mindas, uh, would like you to tell us about the neighborhood resistance committees. Um, uh, for those who don't know Sudan, what are the resistance committees and what is their role in the current wave of their revolution? Uh, yeah, Mindas, معنا مستمعين لا يعرفون الكثير عن السودان. فما هي لجان المقاومة وما هو دورة في المرحلة دي من الثورة السودانية؟ أوكي في البداية شكرا لكل الذين جعلوا حاذا ممكن رباب سارة دوحة مزن النيل سين لارسون شان إسماعيل نيفا all thanks to you glory to our martyrs in Sudan and a speedy recovery for all those injured in the Sudanese revolution and we do not forget to salute African-American during Black History Month. And we salute all the sacrifices of Black Americans Frederick Douglass, and those, and the idea of Black History Month. The solidarity of peoples is connected, that can dictate its path. Against the states that if we go back to the resistance committees, they are grassroots organizations that are a, a part of Sudan's legacy of liberation that were in response to or necessity to respond to the policies of the state against that dismantled the syndicates, labor syndicates of the past, and this was a necessity to, in, to respond to that directly or indirectly. 
that the history of these resistance committees are are grassroots organizations. They're democratic, popular demo, democratic that guarantee the involvement of all in policy makings in a way that um, challenges uh, the modes of organization of the state in certain ways. In the resistance committees since the beginning were a, a connection or a continuation of non-governmental organizations And they appeared during the Sudanese Revolution December 2018. And until today, the resistance committees continue to grow and develop organizationally in different ways. The question back then, questions of security and the tactics of how to organize in a proper way and how to um, distribute different roles of organizing and to expand the base of the movement. So the resistance committees to move from movements within neighborhoods and then there was a coordinating committee of resistance committees that expanded to uh, all states of Sudan to connect the different Sudanese youth and at different levels theoretically demands were different from one committee to another and that would develop that the ceiling of demands were high in certain areas and different from the demands or when unable to express those demands, but there was it became clear later on And this is one of the characteristics of the December Revolution, that the resistance committees that included um, youth, young men and young women, that would renew its methods of organizing And to be update up to date with the street, and and to guarantee 
that it would create a collective leadership in creating policies to guarantee the transformation of societies who are involved in the uh, policy making and being a part of the distribution of wealth and power and that represents popular involvement If we go back to why the resistance committees I pointed to that previous governments, consecutive governments in Sudan since independence in 1956 Civil service was destroyed. Where the state had no role or less of a role in public life. And where syndicates came, became involved. So the youth organized alternatives to these syndicates as there was a deliberate destruction of syndicates and non-governmental organizations. Sudan went through two periods of, of colonialism. First, Ottoman Egyptian colonialism, 1821 to 1885. Then Anglo-Egyptian co colonialism, 1895 to independence, December 1955. These two colonial eras went, um, created a situation where um, low-cost colonial rule And now with the, with the military with military rule, Ottoman colonialism created native administration that helped in collecting taxes for the benefit of the colonial power. Then you had the British colonial rule. After Sudanese nationalist officers revolted in 1924, the, the White League flag movement 
Anglo-Egyptian colonial rule. Helped created native administration again to control the movement of the Effendia class. Then the Anglo-Egyptian rule created Sudan Defense Force. And it was necessary to deconstruct these inherited colonial structures, native administration, and throughout the history of Sudan, if we look at the military establishment, have ruled 55 years since Sudan's independence, which has been independent for 66 years, So only Sudan has had experienced only seven years of democratic rule since independence. And they were strategic allies, consecutive governments since the creation of the modern Sudan since December 1955. all democratic forces that seek a modern democratic Sudan. And this appeared when General Ibrahim Aboud tried to create forces that would combat rebel movements and during the so-called third democratic period, when the government of Prime Minister Sadiq al-Mahdi used militias that were responsible for the massacre of Udain, one of the famous massacres in Sudan, and reintroduced or revived slavery order and this was also created during the reign of dictator al-Bashir as a Jinjaweed through the native administration and and we saw the emergence of a leader of the native administration, Musa Hilal. And then we, native administration, even during the transitional period, were 
that some pointed to the native administration as a base for support. The, the Sudanese army These two institutions were to help the colonial state in Sudan, whether the Ottoman Egyptian or the Anglo-Egyptian. And these two institutions continue to do what the colonial state did. This is why we see that the native administration and the Sudanese military in the way it is today create challenges for democratic transition. That's why the, the military in the way that it is today, or the native administration, these two institutions function to, to preserve their status and are challenged to democratic transition. That's why the resistance committees had a different view by the youth to create a genuine transition of Sudan where authority is linked to the hopes of Sudan and, and to create government to create the goals. This is why, this is what created the resistance committee. And the role of the resistance committee since the revolution its major role Was, was was to push for large demonstrations and for revolutionary work, for work in the media and talks. The role of the resistance committees after the sit-in in front of the army headquarters was to secure the sit-in and to make available services such as security and food at the sit-in June 3rd massacre that took place at the sit-in. One of its roles also was to protect neighborhoods. And to mobilize for a general strike. And the million 
marches. The resistance committees had to change its roles to be to provide services with the lack of uh, services provided by the state, providing basics, basic commodities, so it added to its initial role when the people realized that the path of the revolution had changed and and where you had for example in North Kurdufan state, the resistance committees were changing its priorities. And since the coup of October 25th, it has a completely different role. Before the coup, it it sought to press the government to go back to the correct path. But when the transitional government failed in the differences in the objectives between the government until the coup of October 25th. It, it, the, the new role became clear to end the coup and bring back power to the people. And it, in this era, the resistance committee went to its initial role December of 2018. to look into the transgression, human rights transgressions I will end here if there are questions we'll try to answer if you're enjoying the Haymarket live series you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket Angela Davis an autobiography Featuring a substantial new introduction by the author, Angela Davis, an autobiography, is a classic account of a life in struggle. Angela Davis has been a political activist at the cutting edge of the black liberation, feminist, queer, and prison abolitionist movements for more than 50 years. First published and edited by Toni Morrison in 1974, Angela Davis, an autobiography, is a powerful and commanding account of her early years of political activity. With warmth, brilliance, humor, and conviction, Davis describes her journey from a childhood on Dynamite Hill in Birmingham, Alabama, 
to one of the most significant political trials of the century. From her political activity in a New York high school, to her work with the U.S. Communist Party, the Black Panther Party, and the Soledad Brothers, and from the faculty of the philosophy department at UCLA to the FBI's list of the 10 most wanted fugitives. Find Angela Davis, an autobiography, at haymarketbooks.org. Um, well, glad to be back. And uh, first, uh, thank you, Mindas, for such an informative answer. Um, actually, forms of organization are definitely among the top um, of revolutionary experiences to be shared and studied. Um, now, uh, while resistance committees were geographically based, uh, formed within neighborhoods, the Sudanese people had several struggles with the state uh, that required other forms of organization um, of people who shared uh, you know, socioeconomic realities and, and oppressions. And uh, that's where networks such as the gathering of demand-based organizations, uh, TAM, uh, comes in. Um, it's great to have Mohammed Salah here with us uh, who can tell us about it. Uh, Mohammed, what is TAM and what is its role um, in the revolution? Yeah, yeah Mohammed, TAM is what it is, and what is it? What is the role that it plays in the revolution? Mohammed, can you hear me? Sami, I'm Mohammed. Thank you very much for all the participants in the revolution. الاجسام المطلبيه والقوى الثوريه الحيه في في السودان تعكس الواقع بتاع السودان وليروح تحت التضامن بين كل الحركات. deliver the the voice of the 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 beautiful introduction by Mendes reflects the 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 author the authoritarian role of the state. And the role of the state and its connection to the places of production. The the history of the Sudanese state is it is it was a plural economic a colonial policy in different eras that has tried to use utilize. And the post-colonial, the post-colonial state has tried the same in a more aggressive to, to utilize human resources. And this shows in different areas of Sudanese history with the development of the economic, agricultural economic. that does not benefit the, the life of ordinary citizens. And since independence, in, instead of turning into cooperative economies, this happened at the account of the owners of land, During the, the period of former president of Abud, the revolution of October, mechanical agriculture, this, that the owners of land 
in areas such as Nuba Mountains or Blue Nile, that they become labor in their own lands, providing services to the state in which people would, would call in, the, in those areas the Jalaba, who own this introduction but also also the manipulation of nomads since the beginning or back to the the era of colonialism one of the incidents 1924 the great revolutionary Incidents in Sudan, where Arab groups in Western Sudan were mobilized. So, if we look into the old history during colonial period, there was always a history of resistance in response to different policies. So farmers organized themselves in different er areas, such as Managil. And if we look at the the Bija, organized in, in form of the Bija Congress, in the Nuba Mountains and in Darfur and other areas, then it started to take a more national the collective of demand-based groups these various groups began to coordinate among themselves and this organizing developed after the revolution of 2013 under the banner of a slogan, this land is ours. Who were against the idea of dams, the building or the construction of dams in Northern Sudan. or in, um, to the east in Adbar and Sitid, or in the, the areas of Sinar, or port workers in Port Sudan, that created a consciousness that these demands might appear in different forms, in different ways. There is no way to address these demands without a political solution. This was not an easy process. We're different, we're talking about different societies, different demands. 
that developed the revolution helped create or to develop these demands in a faster way especially during the days when the re revolution was working in different areas Halfa, Abu Hamad was the villages of Al Jazeera The, the success of the revolution in bringing down the head of the government that looked into areas of mining where there were groups, where there were workers that were affected by the stealing of resources over 1 million citizens are affected or threatened by the drowning because of the creation of dams or the groups that were affected by land grabs. There are 17 groups that are affected by land grabs and mostly in the Eastern Nile areas, let alone those affected by affected by wars or IDPs, internally displaced persons, such as the group of the 29th of January in Port Sudan, or the families of the martyrs against the policies of the Enkaz government or those affected by the, the stealing of oil resources. The stealing of resources was affected by the, there were villages where you could, there were no longer births. There was the weaponization of societies, and societies resisted the role of these groups to date that don't follow the core modes of resistance. that will resist in different ways. Authority in, in a different eras violence against citizens in areas such as Talodi or Blue Nile or other areas in, in a general way the Tam has called for the end of the coup and widening 
the, the grassroots space. The the path that the resistance committees have have gone into sign on and one of the interesting things is when the forces for freedom and change coalition saw the resistance committee saw in the policies forwarded by the forces for freedom and change a difference this is a a, a simple introduction to Tam. that is made up of several bodies that is reorganizing itself to create, to help meet the goals of the revolution. Causes of social economics uh, um, struggles uh, across geographies and across sectors. Um, and, and and the way it's uh, contributing to, to the revolution in Sudan. I would like to go back to Mindas um, and ask about the resistance committees. Uh, given their rather non-hierarchical and their uh, fight, um, uh, non-hierarchical structure and their fight um, against the violent and criminal regime, uh, how, how do you do it? Um, so what are the main strategies of your organizations, Mindas, and how do you make decisions and what are the biggest obstacles um, to, the, uh, to the work? So I'd like to ask about the Lijan. What are the strategies that you use to use the Lijan to make the decision to make the decision? And what are the biggest obstacles that you face? Thank you very much for joining us. And that the Lijan is we're basically grassroots organizing. There's no leadership in the traditional sense. Where all are involved. It is like a a, a co-op of syndicates decision making takes a process because of the structure of the in contrast to traditional modes of organizing this popular democracy Decision-making is done by everyone, but but we have committees and neighborhoods then you have coordinating committees between localities The decisions are different. 
what you have at the neighborhood level. And then you have coordinated committee at the state level. Decision is made by, by all those involved in meetings where there's a general assembly, then all the general assemblies, but, but at the coordinating committee at the state level or the regions, the decision-making is done by representatives where you have direct representation. Then at a different level, the duties of of different resistance committees where there was a structural division those specialized in creating posters, statements, some involved in mobilization. According to circumstances, The structures within the different committees and their distribution of people in 2018 or after the uh, breakup of the season of 2019 or the ending of the, of the partnership of the transitional period. The, the decision making is made according to the committee. And that depends on the structure of the committee. And it and accordingly it makes its decision. And the committee, for example, for people to consider what ways to organize and the view. and how, how decisions are made. Thank you. So, Mindas uh, and Mohammed, uh, you both gave us important details on organizing against injustices in Sudan. So let's talk about how these injustices came to be to start with. Uh, let's talk about wealth creation and wealth distribution in Sudan. Uh, Mohammed, you are especially active with the groups that fight the security services 
Sudan's involvement in the, mine, in the mining sector. Um, it is known that Sudan is the third biggest exporter of gold in Africa, but most of it is smuggled out of the country and doesn't benefit the communities. Uh, quite the opposite, opposite, as you showed in your book, uh, the price of gold, uh, the health and environmental impacts um, is a disaster. Um, and many mines are controlled by security services. Um, can you tell us about this this issue and, and how it's resisted, how the resistance deals uh, with it. And Mohamed, you are interested in ومن المعروف انه السودان ثالث مصدر للذهب في افريقيا، لكن اغلبيه الذهب مهرب وما بتستفيد منه المجتمعات المحليه. بالعكس تعدين الذهب زي ما انت اثبتت في كتابك سعر الذهب عنده اثار مخيفه على البيئه وعلى صحه الناس، كمان عدد كبير من المناجم مستولي عليها الشركات الامنيه. ممكن تحدثنا زياده عن عن التعدين في السودان وعن المقاومه لاثار التعدين في السودان؟ شكرا جزيلا مره ثانيه زي ما ذكرتي التعدين في السودان mining in Sudan is one of the large activities in Sudan for the longest Sudan was agriculture based and dependent on its animal wealth Since the independence of South Sudan, the, the economy of Sudan lost 90% of its foreign currency revenue, so it sought new sources which encouraged mining and the revenue of Sudan increased to where it is today, 100 tons. The, the policies of the Inqaz government was tied to violent conflicts, for example, in Darfur, as Mindans mentioned, where you saw traditional societies, groups involved connected to the National Congress Party. So for example, Sheikh Musa Hilal was linked to the authority in Khartoum. And this this is also is very similar to uh, what happens in the state of Southern Kurdufan or the area of Tolodi, the various military circles. So for example, there was a mining tied to intelligence and the defense forces, the popular defense forces. The, the structure of mining became tied to the state and not open, not even in a typical capitalist system. It is a 
economy of militias from 2016-2017, the intelligence services as the major economy, major controller of the economy, in order to protect the government of Inqaz, the transformation that has happened in Sudan from during the period of Bashir and then to the era of Hamdok or during the transitional period that were that you have a a different company, a Jined, that are connected to the rapid support forces, the transformation that has happened Sudan from a, a country producing 110 tons to the three periods before the fall of Bashir. Sudan had produced 18 tons People were aware that there was a much larger uh, production, but it was going to the uh, parallel economy. The parallel economy or the state of militias that fed the budgets. So where with the smuggling of gold... <laughs> It became a a legal cover for corruption. These the impact of these security circles. So, for example, intelligence it was supposed to implement the law, but, but the opposite is, in fact, what was happening, where intelligence was breaking the law. So, in, for example, in the areas of South Kurdufan, that it would break the laws, the privatization of intelligence. Another side to this, that there were environment, negative environmental impact where mercury was used largely without any regulation. And this is one of the uh, scenes where we see the impact of mining on humans and the environment. So the societies would resist the activities of mining. So in the area of Southern Kurdufan, for example, so in the area of Tertar, citizens refused mining and had citizens then the police came in, intelligence came. 
and wanted the corporations to work in these areas. But we saw imp impact on the environment, on the health. So, for example, we saw the birth of a child. So, for, for an example, we, we saw citizens take a, a, a stillborn child to the very meeting and say that we are negotiating over the health of the people here. So, in the area of Sawabla, that they had continuous sit-ins sit over the years. So there were demands to the government to end the, the work of corporations in these areas. This has happened also in, in the area of Talodi. This resistance has taken place in different places and in very creative ways. In many areas, so when at the time uh, when uh, Bashir fell, there many citizens saw no difference between the fall of Bashir and the new government in how it affected the mining in their areas. Because mining was an authority that killed people to support the parallel state. So the military would support Sudanese minerals. So over 80% of this goes to the United Arab Emirates. This is what we call dirty mining. With the blood of those from the areas, and this requires the solidarity of people worldwide. So even the international forces to support, help support Sudanese, there are allegations that even international forces in these areas are involved in this type of mining. I found that an international force in the, the region of Abye, why are international forces in the state of South Kordofan belonging to forces that are supposed to be in the region of Abyei, where international forces are supposed to be. So citizens in these areas complained that there were forces, that there were forces that were more similar to miners. So in the areas of South Kudufan, where we know that there are uranium in large quantities, we, we've searched that looking at photos before the arrival of international forces 
to how these areas looked before and how they look now. That there should be an investigation. And, and some of these forces demanded to have presence in areas such as Aliri. But locals protested and asked why was there a need for international forces in this area. So the local citizens look at these forces as forces that take from their resources. So, for example, an activist in the area of Tolodi was killed by an automobile. So, there, there are many legal transgressions and of human rights and contradictions of human rights and environmental conditions, which requires large solidarity, revolutionary, live revolutionary forces, and the International Committee. The collective of demand-based groups was created. where various groups from the, the very south of Sudan to the east of Sudan and to the very north of Sudan and seeking to involve the international committee where the locals are involved in mining even in the transactions in the agreements that are made on mining, where there is a genuine partnership. So the companies of intelligence services. So one of the unfortunate things during the transitional period This is one of the great failures of the past period. We can continue. Uh, I'll stop here. We can continue later on. That uh, the mining sector in Sudan has every type of crime uh, possible, from assassinations to um, negative environmental impacts to even, as we just understood from you, even the uh, international peacekeeping missions seem to be mining um, inside Sudan, um, and we are not even aware um, who's facilitating this situation. Um, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, my last question is to Mindas um, about a topic that um, it's taken over the public debate and public discussion in Sudan right now, Mindas. Uh, that's the, the new unified political charter. Uh, we have heard, heard for some months that a unified political charter is being developed under the leadership of the resistance committees that will bring together uh, revolutionary 
forces um, in a common vision of political and economic changes in Sudan. So uh, how far along um, is this process and what are the main features of the charter? Drafting of, as I mentioned earlier, that during the transitional period, During the um, committees to restore the revolution in the area of northern Kurdufan, the resistance committees were faced with a new reality. To enter into the drafting of statements where it became major to develop its revolutionary agenda. That's why the resistance committees since the coup so starting from the area of Mayorno in Sinar State so the civil and to different levels to other areas such as Khartoum State and in different areas of the country such as Medani where different coordinating committees from different areas Port Sudan and in the rural areas the IDP camps in Darfur reached an agreement to the political declaration that were all part of these meetings. These forces adopted a honorary people's authority to negotiate with other resistance committees in other parts, such as the Northern State, including the uh, resistance committees in Khartoum, to put the main points how to retrieve authority and power during the transitional period and how to fix the economic situation and and how to construct sustainable peace, popular peace, and transitional justice and how to uh, meet the demands of the families and 
and the and the issues of such as population census and what we are concentrating on right now that there were many mistakes in the past that those who rose to power in the transitional period had different agendas. So issues such as gender representation was not widely adopted more than the issues of suggested quotas. So even the suggested percentages. So the division of power that would allow, the, these are the, the ways that the agreements are heading to. Shukran um, Thank you. I think it's great that you gave us uh, details into um, the process and as well as the lessons learned from the from the previous uh, declaration that was forced on on the Sudanese people and the Sudanese revolution by international and regional players and by the national elite as well, um, and how this is being fixed. Um, I think this is as important to study and document as the the charter that we'll see it, um, in the end. Um, we have um, um, some questions uh, that uh, from our audience uh, to both of you, Mohammed and Mindas. Um, unfortunately, we cannot go through all of them, but um, I think we can do one question each. Um, this question is um, to Mohammed, uh, the first one. Uh, well, um, the question is, what concrete solidarity actions uh, do you need from outside Sudan that can help you continue the struggle and achieve the demands of the revolution? Um, شكرا جزيلا مرة ثانية حقيقة في يعني حاجات كثيرة ممكن تحصل. There are many things that can be done. Ways of solidarity. Countering the deconstruction of the state that has become a state of militias. And this is not just in Sudan but in the African Sahel that have become dependent on parallel states established by militias that manipulate resources that in the post-colonial state that, that and this is an example worldwide and these militias have to so, so the militias in Sudan, for example, are tied to the militias in Libya or Chad or Niger or even areas of Algeria, Mali, and are dependent on 
regional and international forces. So for example, in southern Darfur, there are mining companies linked, for example, to the Wagner Group that has activities throughout the Sahel, regionally and widely. To confront the control of the militias on the resources is important. And where you have a place like the United Arab Emirates, which is the major import, importer of these resources, this needs international solidarity. One of the challenges that for now, that there's a major change of the international role in Sudan. Sudan once had the United Nations mission in Darfur, UNAMID. We are not dependent on international forces for change in Sudan, but we are dependent on the local revolutionary forces. But there's been a major change in Sudan with the United Nations, where UNAMID was there to protect citizens. With the arrival of the government, Abdullah Hamdok, we, we saw new politics. There was a plan to protect citizens in Darfur. And among the first people to resist this were the people in the IDP camps. Because the same forces supposedly to protect the citizens were the same groups responsible for creating the internally placed persons. And where the current United Nations group, so where, you, where we see the new forces there, assaulted even the United Nations presence in Darfur. And these are, uh, interna this international role is what we reject. The interference in the international, in, in Sudanese affairs, in this way is what we are against. A third point, and this will be my last point, these international roles are in fact, regional are regional interferences, what I call an axis of evil in in the region. What are the policies of these different circles, such as the United States, the European Union, the free peoples of these areas need to question. Who is this? Who does this benefit? 
And for those who want to support the Sudanese revolution, solidarity takes different shapes and forms, whether it be the families of the martyrs. But these are examples. Shukran, Hamid. Um, thank you, Hamid. Um, now, this question is to you, Mindas. Um, it says, um, um, can you touch on how the resistance committees are relating to the recent flux of women's rights and anti-sexual violence protests? Uh, إذا ممكن تكلمنا عن ارتباط الجانب المقاومة بالحركة النسوي وحركات الاحتجاجات ضد ضد العنف الجنسي خاصة إنه أنت كممثل لأمبدة وقربة من من إعتصام داخلية حجار اللي متواصل له أسابيع الآن إذا ممكن برضو تكلمنا بشكل يعني بالتحديد عن الحاجة According to its structure that has many youth in different areas of Sudan, that it follows the transgressions on the rights of Sudanese, including sexual assault, particularly issues of rape. And and since the 25th of November, until recently, we've seen 29 cases of rape, including three in the capital Khartoum, one the incident, uh, the Hajar dormitory at the Ahfad University, and then areas in Darfur, such as Zamzam. We see that the same system of the transgression, transgression of human rights in Sudan, that we see that the official authorities are also involved. If we go back to the incident at the Hajjah dormitory, where there was a rape inside the dormitory, it, it brought forward many questions regarding the administration of the dormitory, particularly after the privatization of education in Sudan, what kind of services were provided to students. Typically, no student, no female student would enter the dormitory without a ID card. But before the, the rape case, according to witnesses that there were thieves that entered, that there was some coordination 
with members of the administration. So uh, according to the evidence that this negates the idea that there was no connection between those that entered the dormitory and between individuals within the dormitory's administration. So the students there are still resisting. And this requires support and solidarity for this issue. Shukran, um, Unfortunately, this will have to be our last question uh, since we are reaching the end of our event. Um, and this question is um, also to, to Mindas. Um, uh, the question is, um, is there any dialogue uh, with the traditional parties? Um, and how is this communication among the decentralized organization of the resistance committees? Mindas, uh, وكيف بيتم التواصل بين لجان المقاومة المختلفة على مستوى السودان بتركيبتها الحالية دي؟ عموماً لجان المقاومة after the coup of October 25th has a different view from its view of the, the past it has a three nose no legitimacy, no cooperation. The goal was not just to bring down the former government, but to bring down the system. The state, as construction and built upon the idea of the military and the native administration after the colonial rule, where the political or order was built on traditional parties that is built on the support of religious sects and native tribal administrations. As pointed to earlier, democratic transition in Sudan needs to reevaluate the role of traditional forces and the role of native administrations and the military. But as resistance committees, we negotiate within the various coordinating committees of the resistance committees Shukran, ya Mindas. Um, thank you, Mohammed and Mindas. It is unfortunate that this conversation has to end, but I believe our speakers uh, provided us all with great insights um, as well as an overview uh, overview of the resistance and revolution in Sudan. Um, I would also like to highlight um, an important role uh, for the success of the Sudanese revolution that can only be done by the allies of the revolution um, outside Sudan, um, and especially in countries uh, governed by the the big players of the counter-revolution. Um, after the coup, it was um, th it was the special envoy of the United States um, State Department uh, who said that it is unrealistic for the people of Sudan to demand an end of military rule. Uh, 
um, and it was the General Secretary of the United Nations who um, urged us to accept another partnership with the military in what he called um, an appeal to common sense. And uh, those two were not alone in this. Um, uh, are, the counter-revolutionary camp is full of governments, officials, and diplomats who are um, working so hard um, to force a dialogue with the military killers um, and force a government of killers, uh, actually, on the people of Sudan. Um, they are providing legitimacy and narratives and justifications for the crimes of the military, and this should be resisted. And uh, I ask of all of you um, to, to tell your governments and representatives, uh, please um, stop uh, these attempts of fabricating um, fake stability at the cost of our lives. Uh, the people of Sudan are creating a new reality uh, where stability depends on the on delivering the demands of the people and keeping the, the killers in check, not vice versa, which is what um, many of your governments are trying to force on us. Um, it will be great uh, if counter-revolutionary governments can step aside and stop protecting criminals. And I trust that you will convey the message. Uh, so for that and for your time, I thank you so much. Um, big thanks to our speakers and the organizing team. Um, uh, stay well. Um, that's all from my side. Um, um, and if anyone would actually uh, want to uh, engage in uh, Sudan solidarity work, you can contact internationalism from below. Um, that's all from my side, uh, but the revolution continues and I pass it to Manifa. Thank you so much, my sister. I don't have much more to add other than to say that every single call for black freedom has been called unrealistic. And it's, it is unrealistic until we win it. And we will win it as long as we realize our Pan-African and our global African solidarity. So everyone listening around the world, Sudan needs you. Sudan needs you now. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.